Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Last week, the, the false prophets, the weather people, um, they predicted a big storm, you know, put out travel advisories, and a lot of you did not make it last week because of that. Uh, so, so I'm just going to kind of lay a little bit of foundation again, all right? Uh, when the, the author of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in your Bible, talks about the foundation of Christianity, right? the last foundation that he mentions is eternal judgment, right? eternal judgment. And that, that is really found in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. And here's what it says. Then I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books, plural, more than one, were opened. And another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. The things that were written in the books... Now, notice it says you're judged according to your works by what's written in the books. The books have to do with your works. Theologians actually call these the books of works. And I want you to picture this. In heaven, there is a book with your name on it. And the things that you do, the works that you do, are written down in that book. And it says they were judged according to to their works. Verse 13, verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life, the singular book, the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. So let's un- let me unpack this for you. When, when you get to heaven, there's books and there's a book. The book is the Lamb's book of life. And if your name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, you do not go to heaven. The Bible says you're cast into the lake of fire. Right? But there's also books, right? and they have your works written down in them, and you're judged, or listen, you're rewarded according to what's in the books. So what you do does not save you. Jesus saves you. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Right? But what you do will be rewarded in heaven. So basically on Judgment Day... You will be asked two questions. Number one, what did you do with Jesus? Did you receive him as your Lord, as your Savior, as your King? Did you give him all of your heart and all of your life? If you say yes, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's going to be a second question. And that will be, what did you do for Jesus? Right? If you look in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, really describe what's going to happen. And this is what Paul said, that all of your works are going to be like gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble. And God's going to put them on an altar. And the fire of the Holy Spirit is going to hit that altar. And the wood and the hay and stubble is going to be burned up. But for everything that passes through the fire, the gold, the silver, the precious stones, you will receive an eternal reward. And then it goes on and it says that some will be saved 
yet as through the fire, but they will have no reward at all. Right? So it is impossible, it is possible to be a Christian and get to heaven and not have any rewards when you get in heaven. So Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 says to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Right? Um, you know, last week we talked a little bit about what we've been doing as a church in Pakistan. But uh, we've got a little bit of an update on that. So would you guys show that Pakistan video to start with? These are the untouchable people. They don't receive any assistance, so they end up selling or trafficking their children, and then that's how they get their food and water. So when we got in there, we fed them, and then we preached the good news of Jesus Christ, and the vast majority of them accepted Jesus right there, and then uh, we had to leave. But then we got a very disturbing report. The town leader from the city, he had been trafficking their children in exchange for water. They said, we're not gonna do that anymore because we serve Jesus now. And the guy said, well, since you serve Jesus, you better ask him for water because I'm not gonna give you any water unless you give me your children. So when I heard this, I said, you know, how can you see your brother in need and not help him? So we paid to have a well put in. They now have clean water and they have clean water because we had funds available in our missions fund because you give. So we were able to help and we were able to act swiftly. And now 600 people have clean water and everybody is rejoicing. The well has a plaque and it's got the Res Life R on the plaque, and it's written in Urdu, and it says, John 4, 14, I am the water of life. And they say, thank you, Res Life, for bringing pure water to our slum. So thank you, Res Life, for being the hands and feet of Jesus in a little slum just east of Lahore, Pakistan. I want to give you the, the timetable on that. Uh, we heard about it November 16. Okay. Immediately sent the money. Um, most of it went to put the well in. There was a little bit of a bribe, all right? The, the well was done on November 20 and producing water, all right? And then this is the report that we got this week, all right? The government stopped providing water to the upper class people because they were fixing the underground pipeline. This meant no drinking water for the upper class families until the repairs were complete. These upper-class families, who had never treated the slum families with love or respect and always abused them, came to the slum chief and asked for clean water from the new well. The slum chief said, not long ago, you, we came to you asking for water, and you raped and abused our daughters. But the God we serve has taught us to forgive others. Now, this is pretty good when you've been saved for 10 days, okay? So we forgive you. And you may take as much clean water as you need from our well. So when the upper class families were filling their gallons with water, some of the men and the women from the slum started sharing the gospel with them. They introduced Jesus in such a smooth and powerful way that one of the upper class families returned and asked the slum chief to tell them more about Jesus. This upper class man has returned again and again with his family and friends to hear more about Jesus. That we just heard, just got that report this week. Right. Philippians chapter one in verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel 
from the first day until now. Now, Paul is going out starting churches on mission trips, and the church of Philippi is supporting him. They're sending offerings, as he says, again and again, so that he could keep on doing the work. And what he called them was partners. He called them partners. Now, when you give, when you pray, and when you serve, you're a partner. That's what you are. You become a partner. When you invest in a company and become a partner, you work together, you invest together, but you receive the rewards together. And that's literally what Paul is saying here. In fact, he makes it very clear in the fourth chapter. He says in the 15th verse, Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, this is when he just went out and started to and began starting churches. When I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, giving and receiving, but you only. We tend to think that what we're doing is we are we're giving. We're just losing something. All right. But every time the, guy, the, the Bible talks about giving, it talks about your receiving. Because when you release what you have in your hand, God releases something that he has in his hand. Listen, Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. He says, you sow blessing is going to come. In fact, I want to point something out here. This verse actually talks about two different sources of giving. Um, My observation has been that at least 99% of what people give is what the Bible calls the first fruits of your increase. In other words, you work, you get $100, and you take some of that $100 and you sow it into the kingdom of God. That's taking it from your increase. But notice it says to honor the Lord with your possessions, right? Honor the Lord with your possessions. And so there's times where God will say, hey, I want you, you that thing you've got. I'm glad you've got it. But, uh, you know, you should keep a for sale sign in the trunk just in case I want it. I, I remember um, a few years ago, I, I had always wanted this particular Jeep, right? Really nice Jeep. Right, big stinking tires on that sucker. Right, and it was my—it was like my, my dream car. Okay, so I had that Jeep for like two years and put three hundred fifty miles on it. Jeannie says you won't even drive it on a windy day. All right. Well, I remember when the Lord—we we, were—we were doing this heart for the kingdom offering, right? And the Lord said, "I want the Jeep." Now, so I sold the Jeep, put the money in the heart for the kingdom. I remember doing the same thing, basically, with a motorcycle that I had years ago. Um, my, my other prized possession, I, I had two replicas of guns that Teddy Roosevelt had used in Africa, matching serial numbers, gold inlays. Right? They were, I, just, I just loved those guns. Right? Never shot them. I just looked at them. You know? And I remember it was Heart for the Kingdom. And God says, hey. I wanted guns. You know? I says, okay. You know, they were just sitting there anyway, just looking at them. All right. Do you know there's times when it's not just out of your increase? The Lord says to honor the Lord with your possessions. 
I remember Jesus said to the men, hey, sell what you have and give. There's times you were supposed to sell what we have and give. And there's other times we're just giving out of the increase. All right. So now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again to my necessities. Listen, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Right? Nobody dies and takes a U-Haul to heaven. Right? You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. You see, Jesus says, you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, notice he said, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit. Okay, so here's what somebody at your house does. Somebody at your house, 40, 50 hours a week, they give of their time, their energy, their ingenuity, their talent, their abilities, their acumen that they have, and they take and they trade that for money. See, when you go to the grocery store, you don't buy groceries with green pieces of paper with plastic. You buy those groceries with part of your life because you took your life, your talent, your ability, and you got it in a tangible form that you could exchange for goods and services. That money represents your life. Right? Now, what you put into the kingdom of God the money you put into the kingdom of God, whatever that money does, goes on your heavenly account. Got that? That's how you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You're taking your time. In fact, Jesus said, when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, you know what he's talking about? Your work. Right? When you take that money and you sow it into the kingdom of God, you're loving God with your strength. Right? That's your ability. So he says, not that I seek the, the, the gift. I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Now, I know there's a lot of pastors that will never talk about this because they're afraid to talk about money. I want to tell you something. I am much more afraid of Jesus than I am of you. You see, and the Bible says in Hebrews that I will give an account for you and for your soul. I'm going to tell you what you need to know to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. All right. Then he goes on and he says, this is what that offering is to God. It's a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. You know, most people never give to where they notice, where it's a sacrifice. But it ought to be a sacrifice sometimes, that you give to where you know that you gave, right? And he says, well-pleasing to God, well-pleasing to God. So, hey, we've got a short video uh, we want to show you about Cuba. Do you guys kind of set that up. I'm going to talk about it for just a moment. So in 1993, Johnny and I go to Cuba, Johnny Varikin. All right. And Johnny had just started working in Cuba at the time. Um, let me just say in 1993, uh, under Castro, things had gotten really bad. Uh, Johnny is, is eating, it was either lunch or dinner. All right. And a man standing over on the side walks over, his, leaves his wife over there, and she says, uh, this is what he said to her, Johnny. He said, uh, if we can have the rest of your meal, uh, you can spend the night with my wife. Right. Now, that, that, th it was because of how poor people were. And by the way, it got better in Cuba, and now it's as bad as it was in 1993. 
All right? I just want to tell you something. Socialism does not work. Right? It does not work. This is what the Bible says. He says, it says, he who works, works for himself. Right? You go to work because you want to take care of your family. Right? Not because you want to take care of the government. And I thought I'd get at least somebody to say, come on. <laughs> because that is what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. All right. So right now in Cuba, a school teacher makes $4 a month and a medical doctor makes $7 a month. Right? Now, if you were to compare that, I imagine that a typical, probably an average doctor in America makes about $200,000 a year. That's 2,380 times as much. All right. So for the last 30 years, right, every month, you have been sending $2,000 to Cuba. Right? Now, what we did with that was this. We had a Bible school that you had started, by the way, in Mexico. So we took the classes that, from the Bible school in Mexico, and we smuggled them on tapes into Cuba. And then we smuggled a duplicator. All right? And we trained over a thousand pastors who had never been to Bible school. Right? Now, the average one of these pastors pastors four churches. Right? And, and you did that for years, but Johnny's going to talk a little bit about uh, what happened in Cuba. I'm here with Johnny Varekin. And in 1993, you invite me to go with you to Cuba and just a phenomenal response to the gospel. That's right. It's been 27 years that Resurrection Life Church has sown incredible seed into Cuba. But I still remember back before we had all this technology. One Sunday morning, I was in Guadalajara, Mexico, called on the phone. My voice was piped into the, into the auditorium. And that time, Resurrection Life raised an offering of over $35,000. That sacrifice trained thousands and thousands of leaders, 53 Bible schools across the island. All underground. Underground that have, they've taken the content and everything, that training, and it's spread across the island. There's hundreds that started with those 53. I would think one of the most exciting things since 2015, we have planted 101 churches together through the giving of Resurrection Life. 75 of those churches are in towns, in cities that don't have any churches. There, there was no testimony of Jesus Christ. And now there's a trained leader and, and there's a church there. Thousands and thousands of people have gotten saved and that's what we get to be part of. And, I, and I've got to bring that back to Resurrection Life. You have taken and, and, and given to send hope and to send the gospel to so many people in, in Cuba. And as a person that gets to be there, I would, I would just say on behalf of Cuba, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You got to put them through Bible school. You bought, I could not even tell you how many bicycles um, for pastors. And, and I know you think a bicycle. Um, I was preaching at the largest church, probably in all of Cuba, in Havana. We had 7,000 people there on that Sunday morning. Right? Seven people had a car. Everybody gets around on a bicycle, right? Again, communism, socialism, it does not work, right? 
just, just so you'd know. But now, back to your Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 6, right? verse 17. Tell those who are rich. Right? So, so literally, with riches comes special temptations. Right? But it also comes with special instructions. Right? Now, I've got the Living Bible. It says, tell those who are rich. Uh, every other translation I looked at said, command them that are rich. Right? So I am commanding you in love, in Jesus' name. All right? Here's the temptation. Do not be proud and don't trust in your money. Right? If you have a lot, you can think I'm better than somebody else because of what you have. God says you are not any better than somebody else. Right? I tell you that the, the, the school teacher in Cuba that makes $4 a month is well-educated. Right? But they're in a place where there's no opportunity. Right? Don't think you're better because you have more. I says, and he says, don't trust in money. Put, put your trust in God, which he says will soon be gone. Uh, whether it's inflation, whether it's a stock market crash, or whether you die. Nobody takes it with them in a U-Haul, right? But you can send it ahead. In fact, Jesus says, send it ahead. In fact, Paul commands Timothy, tell people to send it ahead, all right? Which will soon be gone, right? But their pride and trust in the living God who always richly gives all things we need for our enjoyment. Other translations say, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Listen, God blesses you. Enjoy it. Don't feel bad because you're blessed, right? Enjoy what God gives you. He richly gives us all things to enjoy. But then tell them, those that are rich. No, I need to just inform you. If you have $60,000 income, family income, you are in the top 1% of all, word, world, oh, all wage earners in the world. $60,000. You hear people talking about those bad one percenters? Most of you are them. All right? $60,000, top 1% of wage earners. All right? Tell them to use their money to do good. Right? They should be rich in good works. They should give happily to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. Right? Who gave it to you? God. You see, one of the dangers of, of having, of being almost like self-sufficient, of having a lot, this is what God said, Deuteronomy 8. Be careful not to say, my own ability and skill has gotten me this wealth. God says, you be careful not to think it's you. Right? He says, I'm blessing you. I'm the one who, God, could you say, like, if God didn't give you your next breath, you wouldn't have it. You must remember the Lord your God, for it is he that gives you the ability, the ingenuity, the ideas, the acumen the connections to get wealth. Who gives it to you? God gives it to you, all right? And he says, I'm doing it to confirm the covenant. I said, which I made with, with your ancestors, particularly Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And remember, if you be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, all right? So 
He said, we need to be storing up, verse 19, by doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It's the only safe investment for eternity. Any company, the stock market can go sideways. The dollar can lose all its value. But once you put it in your heavenly account, no robber, no inflation, nothing can touch it. And listen, and they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. Listen, you can live a fruitful Christian life or you can live an unfruitful Christian life. He says the way that you live a fruitful Christian life is by realizing it's God that blesses you and sowing again into the kingdom of God. Um, In 2 Corinthians, let me see if I find this someplace. Here we got found it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 9, verse 10. For God, this is this is this is super, super, super important that we grab this. For God, who gives seed to the farmer to plant and later on crops to harvest and eat, will give you who? You more and more seed to plant, and will make it grow. So you can give away more and more fruit from your harvest. What are we supposed to give away? More and more. You know, I've had people say, I just don't believe in that tithing stuff. Well, first, I think that's silly to think that under the new covenant, God would require or less than he did under the old covenant. Right. We're living in the most blessed society the world has ever seen. Right. But I think the whole thing is just non-academic because what we're supposed to do is give away more and more. Right. As you get blessed, what are you supposed to do? Give away more and more. Right. Now, I've had people say to me, well, you're just one of those. uh, What do they call it? Uh, Health and wealth pastors, health and wealth pastors. And I thought about it and I thought, well, I think that's better than sick and broke. <laughs> right? But what, they're, what they're, they're, they're trying to say is, you know, you, you just believe in that prosperity gospel. No, what I believe in is gospel prosperity, where God blesses you more so you can give more. And then God says he'll bless you more so you can give more. Right? That's gospel prosperity. See, the reason for prospering is not just so I'm blessed. The reason for prospering is so I can be a blessing. See, that is gospel prosperity. And that's what I believe in. I believe in gospel prosperity. Now, in Ephesians 4 and 28, it says, if anyone is stealing, he should stop it and begin using those hands of his for honest work that he may give to others in need. You know, we tend to think, first of all, well, I'm first of all thinking about me and my family, you know, and you need to provide for your family. But when God looks, the first thing he thinks about is, hey, you should get a job so you have something to give. Right? So with that said, I'm just going to talk to some older people. Right? Um, maybe you shouldn't retire. Who wants to golf every day? Can you imagine golfing every day? 
No, you don't. Well, why, why, why don't you just keep working so you have something to give? So that you have treasure in heaven, not for 10 years or 20 years, but for trillions and trillions and trillions of years. Right? When God looks at work, the first thing he thinks is, hey, you need to have something to give so you can lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. He will give you more and more seed to plant and will make it grow so you can give away more and more fruit from your harvest. Verse 11, yes, God will give you so much that you can give away much. He'll give you so much, why? So you can give away. You are the bunch of Presbyterians this morning. So you can give away much, all right? See, that is gospel prosperity. God blessing you, not just so you're blessed, but so that you will be a blessing. Remember, he said he did this to establish his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, right? This is, begins with Abraham, and God said, I'm going to bless you, and you will be a blessing. You're blessed to be a blessing. And if all we do is have stuff focusing on ourselves, we're, we're doing this wrong. We're doing this wrong, all right? Now, um, I think almost all of you know right now we're in the process of building the House of Hope. It's right back here, I believe, right behind here. We're, uh, we started in May. Um, we've been paying cash as we go. And again, my understanding is we've got enough to pay this month's bills, but not enough to pay next month's bills, all right? And we have not told them to stop because we have the money. It's just that it's in your account yet. So it's, it's coming. All right. But we want to show you just a short video about what the house, some of, some of what the House of Hope is doing. So when I first started working, we had the privilege of going and working and meeting with the girls that were currently living in the refuge home. This one time in particular, they were all bickering and the other volunteer and I are sitting there trying to kind of rein us in and we started talking about the things we have in common. And we talked about Jesus and the fact that we had Jesus's love for us in common and that Jesus had scars. And one of the gals said, you know, well, Jesus had scars. I know how we can bond together. Let's do a collage. And she said, let's do a collage of our scars. And before we know it, they're showing us bullet wounds and stab wounds. And I will never forget this sweet daughter said, no, let's not do it of our scars. Let's do it of our tags. And at that moment, I realized that the tattoos I saw on their necks were actually the brandings of the men who claimed they own them. And so we got on the phone and we started reaching out to every tattoo artist we could find. We just put a post on Facebook, really. And they were flooding in from across the United States. Tattoo artists said, we will do it. We'll come to St. Louis. We'll recover these tattoos. One girl in particular had a tattoo um, right here on the side of her neck, and it said the name of the person who was selling her. And every morning when she looked in that mirror at that refuge home, she had been reminded of the man who claimed ownership over her. And she got that tattoo recovered, and it then said, child of God. And so she went to being reminded that she's not owned by anyone, but she is the child of the king and she is the child of God. Wow. Wow. So, uh, so uh, we're going to be finishing that project probably by June. And uh, 
by the 1st of July, we should be starting to receive some girls that are going to be going to be living there. It's in Acts chapter 10 in verse 38. This is what it says. It says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good right, and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. You know, the, the, the word good there, we would get our word philanthropy from that word. It's literally saying that Jesus fed the poor. He reached out to the marginalized and to the oppressed, to the downcast, to those that were abused in his society. Right? And I cannot think of a group that is more abused than young women who have been sexually trafficked. Right? And uh, we're going to reach out and we're going to show them the love of Jesus. We're going to bring healing where the devil has meant to destroy. And we're asking everybody to do something, something significant to you, something significant to your family to help minister to people that our society really tries to just ignore that they even exist. But Jesus... He goes about doing good. He goes about ministering to the downtrodden, the oppressed, the abused, and the forgotten. Say, would you bow your heads for just a moment? Now, in a group of this size, again, there's there's people in every spiritual condition. Some of you, you've lived for God for decades. There's others of you that at one time, you were living for God, but you've drifted away from the Lord, and you need to come home today. Get back with God. But there's others of you, you just don't know where you stand with God. Now, the Bible says this in 1 John. It says, we've written these things to you that you may know that you have everlasting life. You're not supposed to die and then find out if you make it to heaven. You're supposed to know that you're forgiven, that you're right with God, and that you're on your way to heaven. And and literally, if you don't know for sure where you stand with God, you're not where you should be with God. So we're going to pray a prayer based on Romans 10, verse 13. This is what it says. It says, whosoever, that means you, will call on the name of the Lord. And we're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And this is the promise. The rest of the verse will be saved. If you will pray this prayer from your heart and give your heart and your life to Jesus, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. So I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer out loud from your heart, right? Just say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood and paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again, victorious over death, over sin, and over the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I receive him as my Lord and my King. And I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. My past is gone. And I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.